Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. I want to ask a very simple question this morning because I just wonder if you've ever heard yourself saying, I'm just tired from life. Now, I don't mean tired of life. I mean tired from life. I mean bone weary, soul worn down, where life is just for so long, just seems to, from the expectations and just the way that we live our life, seems to have just worn you out. It's certainly not uncommon, uh, but our bones sometimes just seem to ache from the energy that always seems to get uh, taken from them. And maybe it's from the continual depletion um, that comes from just the adaption of, of pivoting as we've been doing. Sometimes it's the, uh, the apparent relay of crises that we're going through. Uh, we've had COVID, we've been isolated in, becoming isolated out. Now there's riots, now there's always something going on. There's news headlines splashing sensation at us all the time. And it all just begins to debilitate our soul. But it goes much deeper than that. That's just the present. But for many of us, our whole life, for, for an extended period of time, has been one of constant depletion. There's expectations are placed upon us by ourselves, uh, by the world, by our culture. Expectations on how to run a family, what a family looks like, what my career should look like. Um, and then even the conversations we have, it can seem like the, the overwhelming majority of the conversations that we have seem to be withdrawals. It's like every email is asking something of us. Um, every person we have a meeting with is, is asking more of us again. And it just seems to be, who's looking after me? Who's filling me? Um, it's all out and there's nothing in. And then there's our own expectations, let alone the world, the personal expectations. And I see this particularly driving the younger generation where there's such, such a high bar of what it can be presented as the normal life. There's expectations on career, of income, of savings, of assets, of retirement age and all this sort of thing. It just, and it just pushes us and it draws from us that which may not be in the substance of our character. And then add to that religious expectations. And we need to go there sometimes because... In the church world for uh, centuries, there's been all sorts and forms of dialogue about what the Bible is saying and how we communicate that, particularly as preachers. And sometimes the message we seem to get, even if the word is not mentioned, is perform. We're expecting you to perform. And we will give you three more things every week, three more ways to do better because God's good and apparently you're not, so you need to work harder. And these religious expectations atrophy our soul. And, and so we just come away feeling constantly from all of those things, maybe I'm just not good enough. Maybe I'm just not enough to get through this life. It was the same in Jesus' day. Even back then, it was the same. You could never be good enough in those days. The religious expectations, the, the expectations of the governments in their various forms used to drive people. The individual on the street or on the farm had no power. Their possessions could be taken. They could be thrown into prison. It was a disempowered life. And even God himself was presented as an unpleasable taskmaster, like a slave driver, just demanded and demanded, and there was just no pleasing him. So into that context, Jesus comes. And Jesus comes as God who gives. And it's a complete inversion for what they're expecting. This is why, for many reasons, other people just couldn't accept him. It just couldn't be what God's like. And yet for so many more, they flocked to him because this whole idea of grace that God gives was revolutionary for them. 
Have a look at what Jesus himself says in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, if Jesus ever highlighted law, and he did, he talked about the law a lot. In fact, he raised the bar. But if he was talking about the law, it was in the context of proving its unattainability. He was saying, you thought it was this? It's much higher than that. If you want to aim for perfection, perfection is way beyond anything that you can do. And so the law was always raised in the context of him pointing to himself and saying, only I can do this for you. And that was the great point of Jesus' life. And so he offered us a new way to live, not in a, in a way to strive ourselves to meet perfection, but, he, but living from a new heart, not living for God in that sense, but living from God. And he presented a whole new way of life. It was life as it always should have been, connected to God, fueled by God, and with a big distance between all those um, unending expectations that life puts on us. And that's why he was just so appealing. And you see in Acts chapter 2, as we've been looking at the last few weeks, you see Peter preaches this gospel of the, of the God who gives. Uh, and 3,000 people came on that day. And we see within a couple more days after Peter and John have, have lifted the lame man up and he's walked and the testimony has gone out, another 2,000 come to Christ. And you look at the way Peter explains about this Jesus and this gospel that gives. And we pick it up in Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Peter says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And you look at that text and there's some common terms in there that they already knew, uh, things like repent and to turn. It probably meant something quite different to them in that context than it would mean to us because we can shout at you to repent. In other words, get better. But what they're saying is more like you need to turn the other way. Repentance literally means to change your mind, to turn in a different direction, but not just turn somewhere else. They're saying turn to someone else, turn to God. Stop relying on yourself. You'll never do it. Turn to God. You've got to think and aim in a different direction. So they knew those terms, but the, the different terms are the ones that I'm sure took them by surprise. Peter said things like, your sins will be wiped out. And you can imagine them sitting there thinking, say that again? Did you just say that all my sin that I can't seem to atone for will be wiped out for me? How is that possible? It was just such a game-changing concept that this God who gives would wipe their sins away at his own cost. And then Peter uses a term that doesn't get preached on too much, but it's one of my favorites. He says, repent so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come. And in their mind, they're probably thinking, you can't mean that God actually wants to restore my soul. You can't mean that he wants to refresh my heart. But that's exactly what Peter was saying. And if you look back at what Jesus said, it makes sense of his own words. John 7, 38, Jesus said, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. John 10, 10, he says, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. So Jesus here is not talking about you having to do better uh, or work harder. He's not talking about the fact that external circumstances are going to be better for you than they are for everyone else, whether they believe or not. But he's talking about a new heart. He's saying there's something can transform inside you. I want to give you a new heart, a heart that's connected, a heart that's free 
from the burdens of sin, a heart that's fully restored. So Jesus offered us a new way to live from God, not just for God. And we'll find that if we're living from God, we can't help but live for God. The fruit changes. And the offer of this life for these people in uh, Acts 2, 3 and 4 was so strong that they were prepared to give up their life for this gospel. They're prepared to say, if this is true and it seems to be true, I'm fully in on that. And more than that, I can't consider life without that. So I am prepared to lay my life down for it. And so Jesus' offer was uh, unique in terms of a new heart. Um, And you see this right through the whole New Testament narrative. Jesus would say things like, you need to be born again in your spirit. There's something needs to transfer in your spirit. Something needs to change there. The spirit needs to come because the kingdom ultimately uh, is found in the Holy Spirit. Paul would say, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. But many of us will say, because we've heard these verses many times, you've probably heard them preached. What does it mean? What does that actually mean? to have a new heart, because I just feel like the same me every day. It's like Groundhog Day. I just wake up and I just keep being me. What does it mean for me to have a new heart? Well, in essence, it doesn't mean that your heart's replaced. It means it's regenerated. And the whole term renewal, for example, means that that which is there has had life breathed back into it. So you're still you. It's just you that's come to life. You've been awoken. You've been renewed. So we are still us but we're us with God. We're us fully alive. And I just want to flesh out a few elements of this uh, new heart because so many of us have, um, it's almost like we're expected to know what's new. How does this look? But I just want to spell out just a few simple things. And I'm actually just writing a book on this very topic right now. So it's, um, and I'm just giving you the, the quick cut of that, but there are just some fundamental elements in there that mean this heart is different from a heart that's living from its own strength. And the first one is that we're reconnected. We're reconnected with God. Jesus' death on the cross made a way that the veil was torn and we had access with God again. And so the the huge difference with our heart, this breath that's breathed in is the breath of life that is himself. The spirit is in us. God is in you. God is with you. God is for you. And so in your life that's worn you down, if you're alone, if you're feeling unloved, if you're feeling let down, the reality now is with this new heart that you have endless love You have companionship and you have access to joy through the spirit, through this new heart that's in you. Your life may have been one where you've been judged or slandered or misrepresented. You've been deserted and left alone. But this new life, this new heart means you are never alone. It's tangible. It's real. It's adoptive. You're in the family now and this father will never leave you or forsake you. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, he prays that we may have the fellowship of the spirit always. And he's saying this fellowship, this is companionship. This isn't an imaginary friend. This isn't just a set of beliefs that I choose to believe in. This is a reality of a changed heart where God is dwelling with me. You are with God eternally. That's good news. I hope you're at home now celebrating that. So we reconnected with God. Secondly, we're revived and renewed. And I've sort of coupled these things together. But what it means is he brings your heart to life and he renews that heart frequently. So it's not just a once-off event. We are born again, but it's like he breathes life into us in this rhythm of life that we go through as frequently as we can cooperate with that. So, you know, he renews your heart. He, he heals your pain. He, he lifts your trauma. He gives you the strength that you need. He empowers you for life. Rather than life draining you, he gives you life. It's a complete inversion. 
And we can see uh, in practice and through scripture and through great theology that this renewing of heart is comprehensive and that we become born again and our heart is fundamentally renewed. But it's also incremental. You may have never really been able to look back and say, yeah, I remember that moment where my heart was comprehensively renewed. You may have found you took small steps into faith throughout your life. And that's completely acceptable. Your heart is still dwelling with God. The great news is this renewal happens again and again and over and over. And there's layer upon layer of renewal happens in our heart as we learn to cooperate more, as he refreshes us more, as we give more over to him, as we realize we've gone the wrong way. And he says, that's OK, come back. I'm with you still. And so it's comprehensive and it's incremental. Thirdly, it's redirected. And when I say redirected, I mean, there's another force and this force even though it's a personal force, is grace. There's a, there's a new director in your life. There's a new thing compelling you. Uh, and maybe not so much a thing as a someone. God redirects your life. And so I can turn from striving in my own strength to being strengthened by his strength. It's grace. We live by grace. We live from the fact that I don't have to strive anymore. I don't have to push beyond what's my capacity to do at this stage of life. He knows me, he understands me, and he gives me the strength. And it's redirection from being ambitious to being contagious. When I'm ambitious, I'm forced to work. I need to get this thing done. I need to push. It's up to me. But if I'm contagious, it's just natural. It just, it's fruit flowing from a changed heart. So I wonder in the reflection of those simple descriptors there, I wonder if you're tired enough to want to be renewed. Do you really want to reach out for this? renewal experience? Does your, does your heart need that rest? Are you sitting back there at home today and, and I'm wondering, I'm hoping, even if you're feeling fine, I'm hoping you realize there are, there are ways I could actually breathe a bit easier with my life. The, the, the weight of family, of career, of ministry, of all these things, I'm probably a little bit more tired than I could be or should be if I was living from this strength. Maybe you're expecting more of yourself than you're designed to give. Maybe others are screaming at you and demanding that you do life their way. They're placing expectations upon you and you feel like it's, it's just too much change. There's too much bearing of the load for other people. So I wonder if you just need that refreshment. Maybe you can't remember the last time you were full of joy. Life has driven you. Life has directed you. Life has drained you. And you just need more grace. Well, we're going to just reflect on a great song now. And I just want us to be able to sit back and it's just going to refocus on who God is, because there is a redeemer. He's redeemed our life. He gives. He is a God who gives. So as you think about those things that drain you through this song, why don't we dwell on and be thankful for the grace that comes and gives you life.
Thanks to the team for that. You know, it's one thing to uh, long for a new heart and it's, it's easy to just communicate that and then just leave us hanging. The great thing about the format that we're in right now is presents it's just an opportunity to say, well, hang on, I just need to apply that. And so today through this next few minutes and then the application for the house churches, we're just gonna go there just a little bit deeper and just give you an opportunity to take next steps of how do I do this renewed heart thing? How do I get there? Um, because Often we think, well, God's the one who renews. God who, God's doing all the heavy lifting here, and that's absolutely true. Uh, but that then creates in us, uh, we want to posture ourselves to do nothing, to just give up and, and just wait. We can't really cooperate with that process. But as with most things in the kingdom, it's a partnership, and uh, we need to be able to cooperate with grace. And so let's just look again at these two scriptures and just look at, uh, at that Jesus have said and, and, and Peter has said, and just look at what the coupling of response and grace is when it comes together. In Acts 3, 19, Peter says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And now compare that to Jesus' own offer in Mark 1.15, which I love to talk about. Jesus says, The time has come. He said, The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So Jesus prefaces the promise with, uh, of the kingdom with repent and believe. That's, that's what we're responsible for. Peter prefaced it with repent and turn to God. And they can sound a little bit different, but if you look at the context and their understanding there, to turn to God means I'm turning away from myself. I'm turning to him. I'm leaning into him, not leaning into myself. So there's a, there's a, a parallel there where it's the repentance means I'm turning away from one thing so I can lean on and I can believe, I can rest on God. And so the principle here, the overwhelming principle is I'm turning away from my own strength and my own ability to try and attain the perfection of the law and I'm turning to God and I'm turning to a person. 
I'm turning away from works and I'm turning to a relationship. And so to believe is to rely on him. That's what essentially it means. So I'm turning away from relying on self to believing in God. And this is our part of the process, to intentionally rely on God. And so there's a few very simple keys to that. And so I'm trying to avoid just giving you three more things to do, but I can certainly give you uh, some principles that, that help you stop relying on yourself and rely rather on God. First one is very simple, rest, to rest. And when I say rest, that doesn't just mean I'm sitting at home with Netflix and a coffee uh, doing nothing. That may not be rest. They may, that might just be soaking up time. Rest is really something that fuels and restores your soul. To work in with the rhythms of God in the way that he restores our soul. See, we may feel a victim to our stage of life, um, but maybe our expectations on life are wrong. So we need to get back into the rhythm of push forward, pull back. Uh, we might feel like we can't do that. We might feel like, well, I don't have a choice. It's just all demand. I can't change what the world expects of me. But in many instances, we can. We, we feel like we've been robbed of the choice to rest. But often that's because we're assuming that the expectations of this world are valid. But what if they're not valid? What if they're pushing you beyond your human capacity? What if they're pushing you beyond your mental abilities? Then it's not fair. And, and we need to take back ownership of our life and say, no, this is too much. The responsibility for my well-being in this sense, the choices are actually up to me. They're not up to the world. I can choose and I need to rest. See, what I've found uh, in practice with God's empowerment in my life, the ability to hear him, to draw on his strength, to not suffer anxiety, to have his counsel, they predominantly come from a posture of peace. If my soul is anxious, it's hard to be calmed. I need to come back and literally sleep through the storm as Jesus did in the boat with the disciples. The storm's going on, the storm's real, but to be able to say, God is with me, my needs are being met. And in that position of peace, I'm able to work with much more authority. So we need to make the choice to rest, not let the world take that choice from us. So number one, rest. Number two is to rely. It's to believe that it's okay to trust God in the complexity of my situation, in the confusion of my situation, to trust that God is smart enough to get invade the complicated uh, situation we may have at work or at church or at family. We think sometimes, oh, God's not able to be, work so intricately in so many lives and so I've got to do this for him. But we need to trust him. He's smart enough. He's strong enough. He can do whatever he wills. And Often we need to take our hands off this situation and simply to rely on him. But then if we find that God's not doing what we want, we need to really put our mirror up to ourselves again and say, maybe my expectations on God are not valid. Maybe I'm expecting him to do something that he's not really buying into either. And so we need to reset our expectations on life. So when it comes to our strivings and our expectations on life, pride can be a real barrier here um, to our reliance on God because we determine what life should look like. Uh, for whatever reason, we have all these expectations set up and our pride will say, no, this is what I have determined needs to be done. And so we strive to make it so. But the scriptures are very clear. God, God opposes the proud and he lifts up the humble. And humility makes us prepared to let God set those standards. Not the Western world, not Facebook, not Instagram, not the media. God to set those standards. And something in me thinks that God's standards of life and God's expectations on life are somewhat different to what we've created. 
The third one then is to relate. It's a relationship. It's, we're talking about turning to God here, not turning to a self-help plan, not relying on our own strength, not relying on anyone else, but relying on God for life, regardless of the circumstance, whether we're sick or whether we're well, whether we're poor or whether we're wealthy, whether we're attractive or we feel like we're not. We're relying on God for the things that really matter. This is faith, that God is sufficient for us no matter what the circumstance. And so we need to bring him into our logic and ask him, to guide us. We need to start the conversation. We need to ask him questions, not just keep telling him what we think he should be doing. He's not an object. He's not an idol. He's our God. He's our Father. And it's a personality that we're engaging with and we need to relate to him as such. God has saved you for relationship. So there's three ways. There's three quick ones and there's obviously more. But you can see they all come back to reliance. This new heart comes by faith. It's grace that's given access through faith. Ephesians 2.8 says that really clearly. And so our new way to live is a, is a new heart. It's a new inner self that overflows. It's not about you being stronger. It's not about you being good enough. You need rest. You need God. And so today, I truly pray as we close off this part of the service that God has spoken to you and said, oh, I think it's just time to breathe. We can't just breathe out all the time. We need to breathe in. And this new way to live is a way of grace and of a new heart. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for everyone listening to this today. I pray, Lord, they'd be so aware of your presence. Lord, so aware that they haven't got what it takes to do this life in their own strength. They were never meant to, and they can't. Everything you call us to do is reliant on you empowering us to do it. Father, will you give us the faith to rely, to relax, to breathe again, and to trust in you, for you to renew us and give us a new heart. Breathe on us, fill us with your spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, everyone. Have a great Sunday. And if you're doing house church uh, or group work together, uh, go to the uh, website at kenmore.church forward slash house church and you can download and watch the video and uh, discussion questions there. See you soon.